Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date with Bold Church, if you want to find out when our next gathering is or how to live stream an event, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Who's excited for church? Come on. Uh, I hope you have your journal because we're going through the book of Revelation. Someone say, bring it on. I know that we normally, uh, for those of you that are new, we don't normally go through this book. I know it's a very hard book to go through, and we're just believing God's going to speak to us in a very practical way. We're only looking through the first three chapters of this book because it is so practical. And uh, I just need to, to, to remind you that uh, even though the Bible was not written to us, it was written for us. Amen? So even though this message was written 2,000 years ago, there are things that we can apply to our life today. Anyone ready to receive what God has for us for today? Amen? And uh, I want to show you a map because Jesus is going to speak to seven churches. And this is what is called Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. These are seven real churches. And last week, we, we, we walked through the book of Ephesus. To, today, we're going through the, the church in Smyrna. Someone say Smyrna. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, says, To the angel of the church of, in Smyrna. And every time that Jesus speaks to a church, he's speaking to the angel. Not that the church has an angel, but this is the senior pastor of that church. So he's rebuking me before he rebukes you. So then these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your affliction, someone say afflictions, and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid, someone say do not be afraid, afraid. of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. I want to give you a theme song for today. Last week we had the the theme song, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. And some of you, when you hear the song, because you were born in the greatest generation, you're going to think Vanilla Ice. But some of you are older, and we're thankful you're still breathing. This song is really old. But this was a collaboration between a a band named Queen and Bowie, David Bowie. And the title of today's song, you got to hear it. It's coming. He's singing. Maybe we played too much. I don't know. There you go. The title of today is Faith. Someone shout faith. Faith Faith under pressure. Let me just pray before we begin. God, thank you so much, Lord, that we can study your word, and it is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we didn't just come to study you, which we did. We want to come to experience you. Speak to us, God. We want to walk in one way and walk out another. God, we want to talk like you. We want to love like you. We want to look like you. And if you believe that, everybody said? Come on, a little bit louder. Everybody said? Can we give Jesus a round? Come on, a shout. Last week I told you there are three rules of interpretation when you're studying any book of the Bible. Rule number one is context. Rule number two is context. Rule number three is context. And you need to understand why this, this book was written. It was written to a church, churches that are facing persecution. The emperor, a.k.a. the Caesar, is a dude named Domitian. And this man does not like Christians the way that the Warrior fans don't like Laker fans. It's, it's, 
And, and, and he has increased the persecution. He's, he's installed what's basically called Caesar worship. That when you walk into a temple or a, a, a church, anywhere you go, you first have to bend your knee to Caesar before you bend your knee to your God. And the pastor of, of, of the church of Ephesus, a man named by the name of John, he's the author of the book, he refuses. So Domitian boils this man. And when the guy doesn't die, then he exiles him to an island of Patmos. I just need you to visualize this image. He's not in an air-conditioned building, you know, drinking his mochaccino in a, in a nice, cool room. This man is covered in bandages. He's probably 80 years old. He's wearing a diaper because he's that old. And God gives him a revelation, not of a gentle Jesus, you know, who's like around sheep, but of a warrior king. And Jesus literally pulls a sword out of his mouth. Some of you pacifists, you need to get a bigger vision of God. And he comes and he says, I'm not just a shepherd. I'm a warrior king. And you don't just need a gentle Jesus when you're in persecution. You need a glorious Jesus. Amen? Anybody thankful that Jesus is bigger than any vision that we have? And he comes. I'm really trying to teach today, but if it comes out, I can't control it. I'm going to preach. And Jesus walks through these seven churches, which are the seven lampstands, and he begins to give a prophetic message. And I love this word that he walks through the churches, and he sees what's going on. He sees what's going on in that church, and then he sees what's going on in this church, and he sees past the pretense. He sees past the masks that we put on. He sees how we play religious games, and he gets to the heart of the matter. He wants to tell us this morning, sometimes it's hard to be a Christian. Sometimes you're going to have faith under pressure. And watch what he says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. This is just the first verse. To the angel of the church of Smyrna. Someone say Smyrna. This is the crown jewel of Asia. In the same way that if you were to drive up 280 and hit Page Mill Road, there are more billionaires on that road than in any other city in America. One in five startups in the Bay Area are started in this valley. Not only do we have Stanford and Berkeley, we are the hub of technology. That's what Smyrna is to the ancient world. It is the hub of science, philosophy, medicine. It is a hub. The whole world is coming to learn in the city of Smyrna. It is the crown jewel, but... There are multiple cities in Rome. Some of them are pro-Rome and some are, are, are anti-Rome. Think of it like red and blue states. How many know what I'm talking about? Very, it's almost like a different country. Smyrna is pro-Rome. So the persecution in the city is at an all-time high. And what I find so interesting is the word Smyrna, the, the root word for this word is the word myrrh. Someone say myrrh. Myrrh back then in the first century was like perfume. Some of you men, you wear perfume to smell good for your, for your ladies. Ladies, you're always wearing perfume. It doesn't matter what time of day. Sometimes it's hard to breathe you wear so much. We love you. But myrrh in the first century was so expensive, you didn't wear it day to day. You only wore it, you only put it on on dead bodies. It signified a funeral. And imagine... This city is known, listen, this city is known as myrrh, but it's not the smell of life, it's the smell of death, Christians dying. And so the world will say, all I smell is the Christians dying. But at the same time, you have to see, there's a prophetic picture to this word, that when Jesus was born, wise men came. And what did they bring? They brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So while the world smells death, Christians smell life. While the, while the world sees nothing but bad, Christians say, I don't walk by sight, I walk by faith. Maybe all you see is death, but I see God making me born again. He's doing something new in me. Anybody thankful that God is doing something? It may not be what you want. Sometimes your faith is under pressure. And I love that Jesus is, 
is trying to encourage this church. You've got to understand that the book of Revelation is written to churches that are under persecution, and they are discouraged. A text message won't do it. A love note won't do it. He's got to write a specific message saying, I know what you're going through. And then he continues and says this. It says to the angel in the church of Smyrna, right, these are the words of him who is the first and the last. Someone say the first and the last. Who died and came to life. This is 60 years after Jesus resurrected from the grave. When the early church began, it was a bunch of poor, uneducated people. And it has exploded. By this time, 50% of Jerusalem has come to Christ. It is unreal. But there is so much persecution in Jerusalem. The Christians are being spread out, but they have forgotten. They have forgotten who their God is. And God has to remind them, I'm the first and the last. 20 years ago to this day, a guy, a guy named Jay-Z wrote a song called Public Service Announcement. And the, the, the song begins with, let me, introduce, let me reintroduce myself. And that's essentially what Jesus is doing. He's reminding the believers, do you know who I am? I'm not a good man. I'm not a prophet. Let me reintroduce myself. I'm the first and the last. I'm the alpha and the omega. The tomb is empty and there's news to tell. And he has to remind Christians, I know you're suffering. I know you're going through some pressure. But don't forget who I am. And watch this. This words, the, Watch this. He says uh, this in Isaiah 41. Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first and the last. Someone said the first and the last. I am he. He's speaking to Christians who are persecuted, who are under oppression, who are under pressure, saying your life is not bound by Rome, the rise and fall of Rome. Your life is not bound by the political turmoil in our country, not bound by inflation or the economic recession that's coming or whether you got promoted at work or what doctors say over your life. Your life is bound by me. And many Christians, they're going into new territory, unknown territory, and they're freaking out. What I loved as I was studying for this sermon that in the first century, that the world had not yet been discovered. Christopher Columbus had not sailed across the sea. And so there were maps during the first century that, that were still exploring the world. And whenever they came to a part of the world where they didn't know what to put there, they put, here be dragons. And they would tell people, don't go over there. We don't know what's over there. Or they'd say, here be fiery red sands. And Jesus, prophetically speaking, I, I know you're under pressure. I know you don't know what's happening, but here be Jesus, the first and the last. I, I'm not just the Alpha and the Omega. I'm not just a, a good man. I'm God. Let me Allow me to reintroduce myself. I conquered death. Death and I arm wrestled, and guess who won? Why are you so afraid? And Jesus is speaking to Christians who are terrified, who are freaking out. And this is the question I need to ask everyone. What are you afraid of? Because you can say that, I believe Jesus is God. I'm going to spend time with him in eternity. But how are you actually living? Some of you are more afraid of your coworker than you are of Jesus. You care more what your friends think than what Jesus thinks. And instead of standing boldly, you stand silently. Persecution back then is not what we're, we might get canceled. We might get the Wi-Fi cut. You know, we might get the promotion. These guys will get sawed in half. And I remember reading this article a couple months ago that says underneath every general fear is another fear. Like some of you in this room, you're afraid of heights or you watched Jaws 20 years ago and you refused to go in the ocean. I understand. In my home, I, I don't kill the spiders. My, my three-year-old does. Anyone? Come on. Nothing to be ashamed of. 
Some of you are afraid of fish. Some of you are afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of Laker fans. Come on. But doctors, psychologists will tell us underneath that fear, which is just a general fear. You're not actually afraid of that thing. There's a deeper fear. There's a root fear under all fears. It's the fear of death. And Jesus is saying, I've conquered the greatest fear you have. I've gone to the unknown. I've gone to the pit and I've come back. What are you afraid of? And he's trying to encourage some Christians who are terrified. And I love that our God is not just speaking from a place of heaven saying, drinking his, his LaCroix, speaking. Like, oh my gosh, figure it out, guys. No, no, this, this man is speaking, understanding exactly what we're going through. Revelations 2 verse 10, it says, I know your afflictions. Someone say afflictions. And your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. I, every time my wife and I counsel people, it's not just the pain of their marriage or the pain of their finances or the pain of like their health condition. It's often that they feel alone. And they feel like no one sees what they're going through. No one sees the heartache. No one sees the tears. No one sees the pain. And Jesus is saying, I know. No one else may see it, but I see it. He's trying to encourage the people who feel isolated. He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to tell them, listen, this word affliction, some of your translations use the word tribulation. The Greek word, we're a little nerdy today, like we did last week, is the word thalipsis. Someone say thalipsis. Sounds like an X-Men character, but it's this word pressure or crushing pressure. And it's this powerful word that when you use it in the first century, it literally depicted a man who was lying on his back with a big rock on his chest, and it was crushing him. And Jesus is saying, I know what you're going through. I know it's not easy. I know you're being persecuted. I know you feel like you're being crushed. And Jesus is not this God speaking from head knowledge. He's speaking from experience. How do I know this? Isaiah 51, which is my favorite verse, Isaiah 53. This is speaking about Jesus 800 years before he became a man. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. Someone say crushed. For our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. Anybody thankful for a Savior who knows what we're going through? I love that Jesus isn't just speaking from a head knowledge. He's speaking from experience. We live in a culture today where celebrity pastors are more known than Jesus sometimes. We, we, we love what they they say we want to repeat what they, we quote them more than Jesus. We want to dress like them, walk like them. And listen, Jesus is not a hype priest. Hebrews chapter 4 says something different about him. For we do not have a high priest. What I love about Jesus, he's not just a king, he's a priest. He wears a robe that has a piercing in his side. He's got a piercing in his hands because he's not just some God in the distance saying, figure it out. I know you're suffering, but you peasants. He's the God who became a man. Jesus had to have his diapers changed, bro. Jesus had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to ride a bike. I'm not even sure they had bikes in the first century, but I'm just following along. <laughs> he had to learn how to read and write. He had to go through. Why would God go through all those things so that when you go through pain in life, he can relate to you? Listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to suffer the way that he did. And Sometimes we think if I follow Jesus, it's like, you know, eating rainbows and farting butterflies and everything's going to be easy. It's just the truth. But I need to speak prophetically to you for a moment. 
what the world smells as death, you and I say, no, no, God's doing something new. I smell life and life abundantly. While I may not like this pressure, may not want this pressure, God sees it. He knows what I'm going through. He's going to use it for my good. There's faith under pressure. And Jesus wants you to understand this. Following Jesus does not mean that my pressure is evaporated. That's a magic pill that if you follow him, everything becomes easy. You need to understand that following Jesus, sometimes your life gets worse, not better. Now, some of you, let's just be honest. You, you follow Jesus, and you add problems to your life. You date someone you shouldn't date. You take a job that you shouldn't take. And life, you're like, God, oh, my gosh, it's so difficult. God's like, you're an idiot. I love you. I didn't cause any of that. Right? Smyrna is doing nothing wrong. They're faithfully standing for Jesus, and their life is becoming more and more difficult. And you need to understand this. Sometimes following Jesus, is your life gets more problematic, not because of sin, but because of faithfulness. That's the, the great lie that no one wants to believe, that this prosperity gospel that we have in America, that if you place your faith in Jesus, you're going to get health and wealth. Why would baby Hezekiah get sick? Doesn't Freddie and Anna have enough faith? And that's not the case. Sometimes problems increase. Sometimes you need to realize this. When you are following Jesus, you will face opposition. If you're following Jesus and you don't face opposition, maybe you're not following him. The theologian Thomas Torrance of Edinburgh said this, a true church, a church cannot be a true church without causing trouble. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, that meaning if we're going to really do what Jesus called us to do, that means there's going to be Trouble added to our life. And the problem is that you have a different mindset about trouble. You're taking it personal. Turn to neighbor and say, it's not about you. It's about God in you. John White, the great theologian, said this, Satan's supreme object is to hurt Christ and Christ's cause. You personally, although you're a snowflake, are of no interest of him. It is only as you relate to Christ you assume significance in the enemy's eyes. I want to speak a prophetic word to some of you in this room who have walked faithfully with God. You have obeyed him. You have followed him. And God seems like he's adding problems to your life. It ain't God. It's Satan. And he wants to discourage you. And and you have your whole life realized, I am important to God. Listen, you are also important to the devil. He wants to stop you. And the only reason he's opposing you is because you're headed in the right direction. If you're not facing opposition, maybe you're not following Jesus. It reminds me of the story of Samuel. Someone say Samuel. He's actually considered the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. Why? Because when his mom was barren for 10 years, when she finally got pregnant, she dedicated him to the house of God at the age of two. This man joined the dream team at his church at the age of two. Some of you are 50 and you're not on the dream team. God bless you. That makes you nervous. That's not my problem. This man walked with God from the age of two until the day that he died, and he never had years of unfaithfulness. And he led Israel during a time where they didn't have a king. There was a judge, and there would be different judges who would lead, and then a prophet who would speak to the people on behalf of God. And there came a time in the history of Israel where they said, we don't want judges and you to be our prophet. We want a king. We want to be like every other country. They got a king, we want a king. And Sam was like, dude, Jesus is your king. You don't need a king. And they refused. And Samuel's crying, super emo, his hair's covering one eye, you know. He's in his prayer closet, and God comes to him and says this, 1 Samuel 
chapter 8, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you. Someone say you. They have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Your coworkers that give you trouble, your family members that give you beef, the pressure that has increased your life, it ain't because of you, but because of God in you. Some of you realize your faith, it must, if you're not having pressure, maybe you're not following the way you're supposed to be. Because sometimes pressure in your life increases not because of sin, but because of faithfulness. And the whole point I wrote on the screen is like this. One of the major themes of Revelations is to prevail and persevere in times of persecution, in times of pressure. And the question that we need to be asking is, how do I persevere, Pastor Ali? How do I keep going when I'm facing pressure in my faith? Well, first off, you have to understand our generation, this young generation, my age and younger, we, we totally messed it up with, with baseball and soccer. As a kid growing up, only first and second place got trophies. Now everyone gets a trophy. And there's this idea that if it's hard, it must not be from God. And it's like, no, 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 this can't be God's will. No, 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 no. I wrote the question down like this. What if God prefers wine more than he prefers grapes? Now, that's the same question of how do I per- persevere in, in persecution. It may not feel that way, but it's the same exact question. Because you and I, we want comfort. We don't want to change. We want to be the same way we were. We want to walk in one way and walk out the same exact way. We love AC. We love Netflixing. None of you understood what Blockbuster was 20 years ago. Friday night, we have to leave for two hours, peruse the aisles for three, and then come home. Some of you, you don't even leave your couch. You push a button. You're so lazy. You don't even push buttons. You push a button and record your voice. Siri, can you put on Netflix for me? But the problem is that grapes are selfish. And there's a part of grapes that's good, and there's a part of grapes that are bad. And God uses pressure. Someone say pressure to pull the good part out of grapes. And listen, if grapes don't change, you know what happens? They rot. And it's only under pressure, only under thalipsis, that the good part of grapes comes out and wine. And wine can last a long time. And God wants your faith to last a long time, but there's parts of you that you're resisting, that you're fighting, that God needs to remove. You need to have a purpose to your pain. You need to have a pressure point to your pain. You have a plan. I want to give you three things this morning to give your pressure purpose. Someone say, give me pressure, God. Purpose. Number one is this. Pressure has purpose because it proves faith. Someone say, pressure proves. Pressure proves. In in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, it says, I know your afflictions. And your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say are Jews and are not. But you are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil has put some of you in prison to test you. Someone say, test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. I remember when my wife and I start, today is July 23rd, 2023. If you go back six years ago, July 14th, 2017, that was the very first Friday before our first preview service. Ethan had just moved from Malawi to America. 
He had only been in here for three weeks, and we had $100,000 worth of equipment in our driveway. And from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., we were setting up equipment. And that day was trouble for two or three reasons. Number one, in the morning, my wife and I went to the hospital to get an x-ray on my daughter's hand because she had this bump that wasn't going away. It turned out she had some sort of tumor, some growth on her hand that would last 90 days. Doctors across the country didn't know what it was. They, they couldn't identify it. And miraculously, 90 days later, it went away. But imagine when you're in it. You're about to start a church and you're facing all this pressure and there's this thing growing on your 18-month-old daughter's hand. That was the easy part. Because at 8 p.m. that night, we're collecting all the equipment, and a car parks across the street. And four Muslim dudes walk out. And they go, hey, we want to speak to you, Mr. Ali. I'm like, bro, how do, you, how do you know my name? How do you know where I live? And how do you know I'm starting a church? Like, we know. I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. <laughs> and they just wanted to talk, and they just wanted to chat. And ultimately, it was a shakedown of intimidation. They did not want my wife and I to start this church. So imagine we're moving all the equipment in the garage because we think maybe if they steal the car, they're going to stop us from planning this church. And it's like 11 o'clock at night, and we're driving the car around the neighborhood because the truck is so long, and they're still there at the end of the street watching us. At this point, I call the cops. They're at our house till midnight. The next Sunday, that two days later, we have church. And before the church starts, the manager of the hotel comes and says, hey, we need to end our contract. I was like, what? Why? Because your name showed up in a police report. I'm like, yeah, 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 because I called the cops. I know I'm colored, but it, come on, give me a <laughs> Imagine the pressure. My daughter has a tumor. I don't know where it's coming from. I got dudes who don't want me to start this church, and the hotel we're just about to launch out of, they don't even want us to do church anymore because they don't want any trouble. That's what pressure looks like. And Jesus says to them, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. This church is already suffering. And Jesus said, it's going to get worse. And what you don't understand is this on the screen. You don't know you have faith until you have to use your faith. I didn't know I had the perseverance until God put me in that test. God's a teacher. He'll teach and he'll teach, but there will come a moment where he needs to make sure that you understand what he's been teaching. And he will put you in scenarios where you will cry out and he will appear silent. Just because he's silent does not mean that he's absent. It means that you're in a test and pressure proves your faith. And sometimes he's going to say, listen, it's going to get harder before it gets better. Watch what G.K. Chesterton says. A man is a real man who passes the breaking point and doesn't break. What's he saying? That when you go through the breaking point, it usually leads to your breakthrough. That there's something inside of you. You're a grape, and God needs to crush you and pull out the good things inside of you. Anyone here love working out? Anyone here? Four of you. Awesome. The rest of you, I'm assuming, love donuts, okay? Awesome. Let me give you a testimony of a, really, a real miracle that happened, not just with Freddie. Uh, January 2022, almost 18 months ago, I, I was pushing one of those cases that we had up the trailer, and this case is about 1,000 pounds, and... I didn't push it fast enough because you need a lot of momentum to get over the hump. And he got to the top, and then it started coming back. And I pushed with all of my might to keep this thing going. It's 1,000 pounds. I don't know what happened. I tweaked something. And for 18 months, I couldn't sleep on my side. I, I couldn't lift up my daughters. I couldn't even carry groceries from the car. 
to the kitchen without having back pain. Went to physical therapy for two months. I took every medication you can think of. The pain simply did not go away. I just want to give you a praise that our God still heals, amen? He, he's, he healed and brought Hezekiah back, but he also, uh, Pastor Layla came here two months ago. She literally laid hands on my back, and instantly I had a healing. It's a miracle. I haven't told my wife yet, so I don't carry the groceries in still, but don't tell her. <laughs> just kidding. But I started working out. I hadn't worked out for almost 20, 18 months. And I remember, have you ever worked out for the very first time and you try to get out of a chair? Like, you have arthritis, like, ugh. And, and if you really do legs hard, like walking on stilts, you know, because, like, everything hurts. And my daughter's like, Dad, Dad, do you have to go poo-poo? What's going on? I'm like, no, 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 I, I worked out yesterday. And, the, and anyone who goes to the gym knows you don't just go once and you get stronger. Often what you don't realize is the first day you're sore. Everyone knows that. But the second day is even harder because you're already sore, but you got to keep pressing in. And that's what Jesus is telling them. I need to put pressure on you because there's more in you than you realize. Pressure proves your faith. There's something inside of you that I can't just put on one day. i got to put it on you every day. And it's going to hurt, but it's going to make you stronger. Amen? Amen? Pressure has purpose, number two, because what? It improves. Someone say it improves. It improves your faith. It improves your faith. What the gym does for your muscles, listen, pressure does for your faith. There's an analogy that the scriptures often use in the book of Proverbs and in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, says that as, as, when, as gold is refined, it, it shines brighter. It's this idea that when you find gold, it does not come out pure. There are other elements added to it. And you can't just brush those other elements away. You can't just put it in the microwave and wash away the impurities. You have to go through a painful process of heating. You have to go through a painful process where you have to burn away the impurities. And that's what God wants to do. In the same way that heat purifies gold, pressure purifies and improves faith. Some of you, you're angry at the wrong person. You're angry at your boss who makes life difficult. You're angry for your siblings who are angry for you accepting Christ. Your neighbors are angry with you. Your relatives are angry with you. And you're angry at all these people. But Jesus says, Satan is going to throw you in prison. He acknowledges the pain, but says, that's not the root of your problems. It's the spirit behind that person. Our battle ain't with flesh and blood. And then Jesus says, that guy's going to put you in prison for 10 days. Not literal but it's for a season. If I were to give out the mic to everyone in this room, what would be crazy is that everyone in this room has thalipsis. Some of you, it's financial thalipsis. Some of you, it's relational thalipsis. There's this pressure, this crushing that you're going under. And in this moment right now, you hate it. But what's so crazy is if I were to go back a year ago, you had a different problem, something that you were crying about. And that problem that you went through, today you're thankful for it. And my question for you this morning is, why are you crying about how God's trying to improve you? God sees greatness in you. He says, but he knows that you're not ready. So he needs to crush you. Not because he doesn't love you, but because he loves you so much. I got permission to use this story. There's a gentleman in our church by the name of Freddie. He's our kids director. Most of you don't know this, but his mom has dealt with multiple sclerosis for like 20 years now. His dad, his father, his kidneys are failing. It has to be 
needs an organ donor. Freddie knows how to worship in tough times. And yet, God wanted more out of him. I remember when I went to the hospital, when he first went to Stanford. This is late May, early, late April, early May. My wife and I went. And you can only go into this room one at a time. And I remember seeing this little tiny baby. And there were all these tubes because blood was coming out of the baby. It was being oxidized in this machine and then going back in. And they had to cover the eyes of the child so that he wouldn't move and pull the, the wires out. I mean, it was hard for me to see this child, and I'm not even the dad. It hurt me to see Freddie see his own kid like this. And I remember walking out. I said, Freddie, man, how, how are you dealing with all this? He's like, I don't know. Tell me about your, how are you praying? How are you spending time with God? He's like, I'm doing it more than I ever have. He goes, I've never worshiped and cried out to God more than I ever have right now, Alan. See, you can worship God on the mountaintop, on the marriage day, when you get the promotion, when you buy the house. It's easy to praise God for what he does. But can you praise God for who he is? And that's what Freddie was trying to tell you. He was learning the principle, I'm going to worship you, I'm going to praise you, even if you don't heal my son. That's what pressure does. It improves your faith. That's why the Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise. Because there will be days you don't feel like giving it to God. Pressure proves your faith. Pressure improves your faith. And number three, it produces your faith. Someone say, pressure produces Revelations chapter 2, verse, verse 9 says this, Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as, as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Pressure produces something. You know what diamonds look like before the pressure? Coal. God wants you to shine. And if I can quote the great theologian, Rihanna, shine like a diamond. <laughs> but it can't happen unless you got pressure. Some of you are running from the pressure. Some of you avoid the pressure. You will never shine bright for God unless he puts you in pressure. And the problem with pressure is that there's a positive effect and there's also a negative effect. If you don't deal with the pressure in a positive way, it will deal to addictions, anger, resentment, conflict, because I wrote like this, stop managing your pressure and start surrendering your pressure. When life gets too hard to stand, it's because God wants you to kneel. There's something that only happens under the pressure when it's dark and you feel all alone and it's just you and God and God can't change you at church. God can't change you in a group. God can't change you at school. He needs to change you by himself. I love Psalm 46. It says this, God is our refuge. Someone say our refuge. And strength. And ever-present help in trouble. There's a revelation of God's strength that only happens in the pressure. There's a revelation of God's presence that only happens in the pressure. And God says, I want to give you a victor's crown. In this first century, there would be these athletic games, and the winner would get a crown. And Paul's saying, John is using that same language. He wants to give you a victor's crown. He wants to show that you've succeeded, that you've won. What's crazy is that there are 
seven churches that Jesus speaks to. This is the only church that's still alive today. Pastor Evie Hill says it like this, God is, those who are born once die twice. And those who are born twice die once. So you can be born of a woman. The question is, are you born again? Are you born of the Spirit? And that's what Jesus wants for you. He's saying, I know you're afraid. I know that you're afraid of death. I know you're afraid of the unknown. But here be Jesus, the first and the last. I know all you smell is death. I know all you smell is fear. But I smell life and life abundantly. What's crazy is that Smyrna survived because they refused to stop worshiping Jesus. Every other church that we're going to study for the next seven weeks, they got rebuked. This is the only church that doesn't get rebuked. And there are dozens upon dozens of martyrs that came out of this church. One of the most famous is a man by the name of Bishop Polycarp. He was the pastor of this church. And they came to him and they arrested him and said, stop worshiping Jesus or we're going to kill you. It wasn't prison. They were going to burn him at the stake. And they gave him an opportunity to repent. And he was quoted as saying this, I fear not the fire that burns for a season and after a while is quenched. Why do you delay? Come to your will. What a G. And as they were lighting the fire, he quoted this word. He's talking to Jesus. I thank thee that thou hast graciously thought me worthy of this day and this hour, that I may receive a portion in the number of the martyrs in the cup of thy Christ. I don't know why God uses pressure. I don't know why God doesn't make life easy. But our God wants wine, not grapes. I know you smell death, but myrrh is also the celebration of new life in Christ. God wants to do a new thing in you. Instead of running from the pressure, allow him to crush you. Allow him to change you. Because he wants to shine bright in your life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that this is not an easy word to preach. God, this is not some self-help message you're going to find at Amazon. God, your word is eternal. Your word is perfect. Your word gives us what we need, not what we want. God, there is every person in this room has a different thalipsis in their life, pain, pressure. God, we want to avoid this pain. We want to avoid this pressure, God. And often, God, the very thing that we're avoiding is the very thing that you want for us. God, forgive me that I run. God, forgive me that I avoid the pain. God, I'm I'm believing Jesus that you want to change me. You want to transform me. You want to make me more like your son. And even though in those days I feel all alone, I feel like no one sees what I'm going through. No one sees the marriage pain. No one sees the financial pain. No one sees the suffering. No one sees the tears. God, you see it all. I'm grateful, God, that you're a God who sees and you're a God who cares. And you don't just give me words of encouragement and hope from a place in an ivory tower, but you're the God who became a man. And you're not some hype priest. You're my great high priest. And you have holes in your hands proving your love for me. 
God, help me follow you. God, help me obey you. There's some of you in this room that I just need to give you the gospel real quick. 2,000 years ago, God entered human history in the person of Jesus. Christianity, is, it is a book. It is a religion. But God didn't come to give us those things. He came to die on a cross for our sins. He came to pay our penalty of sin. Sin that we couldn't overcome with good things. We couldn't do with good thoughts and positive things. Only, the only way that sin could be dealt with was, was death. The wage of sin is death. And Jesus loving us so much, did not want us to die, so he came to die in our place. And the work of a Christian is not doing good things. We don't work for a blessing, we work from blessing. But the first work of a Christian is to believe that Jesus died for you. And this God, he wants a relationship. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to invite him into your life. He knows life is hard. He's, he's gone through it all. And this God loves you enough to die for you, not when you were at your best, but for your worst. I was having lunch with a friend this week, and we were talking about the Hell's Angels. And the Hell's Angels, you got to get beat up to join the crew, almost to the point of death. Jesus died so that you could join his crew. It's different. It's different. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I just believe that there are people in this room that, that they feel this tug on their heart towards the gospel, towards the good news of Jesus, that you really are the, the last and the first. You really did conquer death. You really did do the impossible. The tomb really is empty, God, and there is news to tell. God, but there are some people in this room that have not yet started a relationship with you. That's you this morning, and you want to start a relationship with Jesus. I want to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up with every eye closed and every head bowed. One, two, three. If that's you, just shoot your hand up just so I can see it. Amen. Amen. Just pray this prayer, everyone out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me. God, thank you. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You're the first and the last. That you died the death I should have died. And you lived the life I should have lived. I repent. I turn from my sin. I turn from my ways of living. And I turn towards you. I give you my sin. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your salvation. As much as I understand now, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Everybody said, Amen. Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.